Lovely to be here and to celebrate mission. Um, some of you may know that I actually chair a small group called GLOW, the Global and Local Outreach Committee, and we work as a subgroup of the parish church meeting, and we've been working to support all our mission work, both at home and abroad, over a good number of years. And it's been a real privilege to serve this church and the Lord in doing that work. Uh, this morning I want to talk to you generally about mission, but particularly with the word the disposition of mission. And I'll be covering some thoughts about mission. I want to focus on Jesus being the light of the world, a collage of our mission interests, calling and the meaning of mission, commission, creativity, come and go. It was great. It was really lovely to hear from Andy and Ella of how the Lord's moved them to work with Operation South America. It's also lovely to see how two of our children, uh, Sam and Heidi, moved to help with the homeless in the Walsall Night Shelter. Compassion and mission go hand in hand. And of course, Jesus is our role model for mission. And a little bit later, I will also hopefully bring out how Paul is a role model for mission work, big time. I've reflected on what David Lee spoke to us about last Sunday from John 15. And I've reflected on, that, on what he taught us in terms of mission activity. It was a very intimate time of Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper. And I think a summary of what Jesus was saying and some of the principles that make us effective missional people in the service of the Lord are as follows. We should enjoy deep friendship with Jesus. And David reminded us that that depth comes about through a prayer life. To love each other with the love of God which is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and to love those who come across our paths with this love. To keep Jesus' commands. And here's a challenge of being missional. It's about laying one's life, laying one's life down, taking up the cross, as Jesus taught us, and following him. It's good to reflect during this Lenten time that I am bought each of us is bought with a price. So my disposition should be that I place all my life on the altar of sacrifice for Jesus to use as he pleases. David reminded us very strongly about having a servant heart, washing people's feet, getting out into the world and dealing with the dirty things and bringing the washing of God to those situations. The Lord wants to pour himself out of us as rivers of living water to bestow blessing on others so they experience the love and grace of God. And basically, a mission, our mission should be that we are the blessing of God to people. Obedience underpins knowing the joy of fellowship with Jesus. So... How obedient are we? And I point ten fingers at myself. <clears throat> J 
Jesus was obedient and embraced the cross. This does remind us of the costliness to God in saving us. It's very easy for us to become so familiar with the truths of who Jesus is and what he's done, but to lose the wonder of it all. Do we have a sense of wonder and amazement of just how great this salvation is? One of my favourite Wesley hymns, and I do like Wesley, uh, is Give Me the Faith which can remove and sink the mountain to a plain. The next little bit is, give me the childlike praying love. But in the fourth and fifth verses of that hymn, it says the following. My talents, gifts, and graces, Lord, into your blessed hands receive. And let me live to preach your word. And let me to your glory live, my every sacred moment spend in publishing the sinner's friend, enlarge, inflame, and fill my heart with boundless love divine. So shall I all my strength exert and love them with a zeal like thine and lead them to your open side, the sheep for whom their shepherd died. If we are to be missional, to be his sent ones, then we need a real appreciation of the shepherd heart of God. Jesus is the good shepherd, but he wants us to have shepherd hearts that are prepared to go and rescue struggling, wearied, lost and wounded folk and not be afraid to face the wolves, lions and the beastly things of the world that mess people up. The disciples in those early times of calling responded to Jesus' command, follow me, follow me. And they had followed him right up until the point of his arrest and death. Then they were scattered and they were afraid. But in John 20, which is another intimate moment, an incredibly intimate moment, they meet the risen Jesus. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. How much we know, need to know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And as he spoke peace into them, he then says, as the Father has sent me, I am, that means God, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. That was an incredible moment of intimacy, but of, of the promise of empowerment and the promise that he was never going to leave them or forsake them. And that is true for us today. If we walk with him, 
he is with us. We can become so familiar with knowing about Jesus and actually lose our first love. It's easy to settle for a different gospel. A gospel that accommodates our self-centred, soft-cell culture. In Choose Life, which is a series of daily readings for radical Christians, which I happen to read every day and have done for a number of years, Simon Gilbert, who speaks at New Wine and is a missionary to Burundi, on the February the 18th reading, quotes from a guy called Robert Kappen, who says the following. Now, this is a little bit tough stuff here, but if you've got a heart to listen for it, what's the Lord saying to us? Robert Capon writes, We're in a war between dullness and astonishment. The most critical issue facing Christians is not abortion, pornography, the disintegration of the family, moral absolutes, music and television effects, drugs, racism, sexuality, or school prayer. The critical issue is dullness. We've lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news, it's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing, it's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wide-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. If Christianity is simply about being nice, Robert Kaplan says, I'm not interested. What happened to radical Christianity? The unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down. Watch this space when I unpack what Paul's like. What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with gratitude every day? And every day couldn't get over the grace of God. Am I ready for a Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with astonishment, which is so captivating that I'm considered wild and unpredictable and, well, dangerous. I want a faith that is considered dangerous by our predictable and monotonous culture. That's tough stuff. But that's what makes us missional. And I can point to a few people here who've got that embedded in their makeup and nature. So, how about you? Perhaps this Lent, we need to discover afresh a time of quiet, joyous anticipation and wonder of this great salvation, but also to rise to the call to be radical for Jesus. In Isaiah's prophecy, 9-16, he, Isaiah writes, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow death, a light has dawned. And then Jesus refers to Isaiah in Luke 4 when he enters into his public ministry 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This little slide I've entitled Shadows and Darkness. We should continually celebrate that Jesus is the light of the world. Here we see Christ as the sent one, the ultimate missionary, the role model for all missionaries, the role model for us, the one on a mission. And in that little verse he referred, we've just, those verses we've just read, this was what he came for, his missional work. Many are living in the shadows for a host of reasons. Our calling as the people of God is to shine as his lights and to be a blessing to those who've lost hope and probably have no awareness of who Jesus is and what he can do for them. Jesus came to be the saviour of the world. And through the power of his death and resurrection, lives can be illuminated and transformed. In our reading earlier about Jesus seeing the multitudes, we see Jesus showing compassion. In the New King James Version, it's expressed more strongly. He was moved with compassion moved with compassion. Our missional job is to come alongside folk with much love and compassion and share the message of peace and hope through Christ. Maybe, for some of you, life is hard. Everything seems black and you're living in the shadows. God is here and he's moved with compassion towards you and completely understands you and is available to bring light and hope to you, just reach out and ask him to help you, to show you how much he loves and cares about you. There are good folk here who will be happy to talk to you, to pray with you, stand with you. <clears throat> I want to explore with you what mission is and what missionaries are and to celebrate our mission partners and the mission projects we support. What a wonderful bunch of people there and wonderful set of work locally that's going on. Paul and Kathy in South Africa, top left. Brian and Chris, where are you? Wave to us. Working for Crassifade and we're so glad to have you with us this morning. And that's working predominantly in Bulgaria, but they work elsewhere. Um, Hilarion Razor, who some of you know, who've been out in Indonesia for a long time. Robin and Joyce Hill, that we go back a long way with. Many of the old timers here know, remember Robin when he was a young guy, and he was a very close friend of late Rob Cook. They have done a sterling work in China, rescuing orphan children with physical and medical handicaps. Operation South America you've heard about. And the one thing I would say about both Crasif Aid and OSA, these are homegrown overseas mission 
projects. The Glebe Centre, you're going to hear more about that down at the, at the marketplace. The Hothouse, which has been going for years, and Mary and her team will be talking to you about the work locally on the Red House Estate. The Thomas Project with Nikki, she'll open up how the Lord opened things for, th for us in Aldridge to be engaged with local people. Do go and talk with these folks. Open Doors, I hope our folks are here to um, share a little bit about Open Doors. If not, talk to me on the glow stand. And Tear Fund, that's all gone very quiet. That's because our involvement with Tear Fund has come to an end. Unless we con continue, we agree to help them further. You can talk to me about that on the mission stand. So thinking of our missionaries and our mission work, and I'm going to single out Brian and Chris, real live missionaries, or by some circles described as missioners. They came and shared their, some of their experiences with us earlier in January. Meet them later, talk to them. But Brian and Chris represent what God has done over the centuries in taking ordinary people, like you and me, and making them extraordinary. They would never think of themselves like that, but I can tell you, they are extraordinary. So how much, so how do such people, indeed ourselves, discover a sense of mission? It's simply a matter of offering all of our life to Jesus and saying, here I am, Lord, send me, I'm available. We surrender our natural talents and abilities to God for him to use. Now, I'm a great lover of the Oswald Chambers who wrote tremendous Christian material over 100 years ago. And he says this, if you will give God your right to yourself, he will make a holy experiment out of you. So how about letting Jesus try out some experiments on you. Either way, become a champion for some of our mission endeavours. Take the plunge and go out. A little bit about calling and concepts of mission. What is a missionary? If you look up a, a, de a definition in a Christian dictionary um, that explains mission work, in modern usage, the word missionary in Europe and Latin America applies to all sent to evangelize, plant churches, minister cross-culturally, whether in lands, other lands, or in their homelands. John Stott suggests we understand mission as a partnership of evangelism and social action. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of word and deed, evangelism and service, not just one or the other. Our own ministry to the world should be the same. It speaks to you and me right where we are. For if service is part of mission, then our vocational calling, as manifested in our different careers and jobs we have, is missional. So I would want to affirm every lawyer, plumber, decorator, doctor, nurse, and whatever you do, it's an opportunity to be missional. Going back to our passage, we read, don't we, Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Quoting from Oswald Chambers again, he under unpacks this passage and 
I think rightly points to the key being prayer. Prayer is the key to the master's orders. Pray the Lord of the harvest. So the key to the missionary problem is in the hand of God. And that key is prayer, not work that avoids concentration on God. The key to the missionary problem is not the key of common sense, nor the medical key, nor the key of civilization or education, not even evangelism. The key is prayer. There are no nations in Jesus Christ's outlook, but the world as a whole. The harvest is that which is produced by distress and conviction of sin, as it was on the day of Pentecost. A Christian is called to be Jesus Christ's own, one who is not above his master, one who doesn't dictate to Jesus what he intends to do. Our Lord doesn't call us to a special work. He firstly calls us to himself. Then he will engineer the circumstances and thrust you out. Mission has to be underpinned by prayer. We have some great prayer warriors in our church, and I think of particularly of Elida Spencer, our lovely little sis sister in the Lord, twinkling her eye, who's so full of the love of God. Do pray for her in her frailty. But she's been missional ever since she's been a young Christian, and she's underpinned so much of our mission activity by prayer. But the church must also be a church at prayer. And the challenge for APC to go forward is to be a church that is corporately at prayer. One test of the health of a church is how many folk make the church prayer meetings a priority. We have to labour in prayer. Back to mission. There's huge scope across the whole age spectrum for our faith to share our faith and do good works. It's great to see young people excited about Jesus, but also busy working people who still have the mission disposition. As for me and my household, my family, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. And those who've retired from work, who are still passionate about the Lord's business. There's a little picture I want to just share with you. The top picture is a group of people I met at on Easter, on Good Friday in 2015. And I was taken to them and said, speak to them. They'd just been internally displaced, escaped for hundreds of miles across the bush, not knowing whether their husbands were still alive, nothing. Utterly poor and desperate. And it's still the same today in South Sudan. It's a dangerous place. And I looked at these people and I did sense that what Jesus must have felt when he saw the multitudes. I was moved with compassion. I was able to help a little, but it's being moved with compassion. The bunch of youngsters, bottom right, are my young South Sudanese friends. When I met them last summer, there was something in me that was moved with compassion towards them because they're young people who want to see their world in South Sudan change. They are passionate to see the end of tribalism. They want to give health care to the likes of those folks in the top picture. 
There's very little training, and in June they'll be out on the front line giving health care with not a lot of resources. How can I sit back here and not go out and encourage them again and prepare them for their exams with another colleague of mine? Medical mission is not dead, and if people want to talk to me about that, find me on the glow stand later. But it's about being moved with compassion. Now, to move on swiftly, um, our second passage is, is a press cutting of a much bigger picture. And you know how Paul was arrested by the Lord on the Damascus Road. He was a brilliant man with a sharp mind, but he was spiritually blind. He thought he was doing God's work and was actually a perpetrator of destructive processes towards the body of Christ. And it's so easy and unwittingly we can be destructive and corrosive in our thoughts and attitudes and behaviours in our church family. And it took God's intervention to turn that man around. The dazzling, blinding, flashing light of Jesus brought him flat to the ground, as it needs to with us, to the place where Christ can turn his life and our lives around to be his sent ones. And you know he got restored, he got filled with the Spirit, and then starts his missional journeys. And here we find the call, come and help us, in Macedonia, that prompting in the night, the night visions, and off he went. A good tip is to ask the Lord to open doors, and how right it was that Paul taught, prayed about open doors. Uh, there's also the ministry of open doors, <coughs> and I would encourage you to look at that mission work in the marketplace and refresh your interest in the persecuted church. Some places are very difficult to work in. And make no mistake, Hillary and Razor are working in a tough situation in Indonesia. Christians are persecuted there. They have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, and trust in the Lord to open doors of opportunity. So we then find Paul with the door open in Philippi, this lovely... Um, Businesswoman Lydia has been seeking God. People have been praying. I wonder what they've been praying about, something for you to think about. It was a tough situation. Roman occupation, place steeped in the occult. Maybe things were going badly for women and children. But she was a worshipper of God. She meets Paul. She responds to the message. It's, and our whole home, family, become Christians. But not only did she have an, a, an open heart to God, she had an open home. She gave hospitality to Paul. Now, creativity in the midst of chaos. Um, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The rest of the adventure of Paul was pretty exciting. He made trouble, he suffered pain, he confronted the occult, he upset the business people, he upset the status quo of the city, was accused of advocating customs unlawful for Romans to practice, he was attacked, he got brutally flogged along with Silas, shackled in the depths of prison, but their response was to pray and sing praises to God. And guess what? God shows up, sends an earthquake. All the prisoners' chains fell off. Revival broke out in the prison. Maybe there's a challenge there for prison ministry, and how many of our young men particularly are in prison today? 
The prisoners, the jailer, his family got saved and baptized. Great joy took place. The magistrates had egg on their faces because they'd flogged Paul and Silas, who were Roman citizens. So God used Paul over a few days to upset most of the institutions of society. The business world, the prison service, the legal department. The gospel is an all-encompassing ministry to show God's way of alternative living. It includes flying the flag for social justice, challenging the status quo through prayer, witness, and being holy irritants, goads and prods to challenge the issues of the day. Paul went back to Lydia's, encouraged the believers, and then left them to it, because trusting that God would continue creatively to, to develop this new church in Philippi. I suspect Lydia had a leading role in the nurturing of this fledgling church in Philippi. God will do that for us in this interregnum if we pray. So to conclude, go into all the world. God calls us to an adventurous life. He firstly calls us to himself. He befriends us, teaches us how to follow him, breathes his life of the spirit into us. Be continually filled with the spirit and go out. And as we surrender our lives to Jesus and embrace the cross, once we've experienced his risen life in us, then we can get caught up with this commission to go. The key is obedience. Another key is our willingness. So please come down to the marketplace. Talk to our missionary folk and those involved with mission both locally and abroad. The picture there is a little booklet we've prepared for you to have all about our mission work. I suggest one for each family. And come and talk to me if you actually are wanting to be involved in a particular or new mission project. We do have some funding left, and we have a sending fund to help people go out. I trust this has been helpful for you. May the Lord bless you. Amen. Thank you, John. Lots of for us to take in there and, and process over the next hour or so. Um, we're going to stand and sing a response song now. Please stand.